Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, starting at verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of God for us this morning. Good morning. Welcome this morning. I'm going to uh, introduce myself. Uh, eventually, you're going to not need to be introducing much anymore, but my name's James. If you're uh, new with us this morning, a warm welcome. Uh, I'm just so glad to uh, open the scriptures with you. I hope you're ready. You've got to get yourself ready. It's not uh, just to show up, and, and I know on a Sunday it's easy to say, well, I just got here. Uh, we lost an hour last night. You're lucky I'm here. Uh, but uh, in many ways, we, gotta, we have to prepare ourselves during the week. We're not just showing up uh, to, uh, we want to hear from God. So I invite you, if you don't have a Bible, if you just put up your hand, we wanna, uh, our Frontlines team will, uh, will get you one this morning. You want to follow along and, uh, and as we, as we uh, open the scriptures. We're going to turn to 1 Timothy as we look, in, look here. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take it home with you. Please, that's yours uh, as a gift from us. We want you to have it. And so we're looking at 1 Timothy as a foundational series for what this church is all about. And so let's jump, let's jump in. Because if we look at this passage, we want to start with 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, and we want to give ourselves context. Context is everything. We're understanding the Bible. We try to understand it in, in, its, in its original place and time and all those things. And that's why it's complicated at times. So Paul is writing to a young pastor, a young leader named Timothy. And so he, I just want to go over again verse, the, the verse 1. And it says, Now that the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves the deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected 
if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and by prayer. So here's what's going on in the passage. Uh, Timothy, Paul is addressing here, sorry, a, a worldview. He's addressing a, world, a false worldview that emphasizes asceticism, which is when someone imposes such a severe uh, self-discipline and avoidance of anything that is pleasure in life. It's a, it was based on a worldview that the body was evil, that your body was evil, and that only the spirit world was good. And that to enjoy food, or even sex within marriage, marriage itself was to be avoided because it was is of of no. It was because of this earth that it was something that was beneath the person. And so we got to understand that that's what is being addressed here by Paul. And these guys, you could they they encapsulated or they captured the catchphrase. They were so heavenly minded; they were of no earthly good. That's what they were talking about. And so Paul addresses this same issue. It's not, it's not just here in Ephesus. He talks about in the, in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, 18 and 19, he says, Let no one disqualify you for your faith in Jesus Christ, insisting on asceticism and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So here's this big idea as we start off this morning. The big idea is that, that we really want to understand here in Paul's message, he's, he's talking to the Colossians, but he's now talking to Timothy. And he wants him to know that there is a way to live and a way to preach that reveals the presence of the Spirit in your life. That's the big idea here. It's about your life and what it looks like. And this is pretty important stuff for a Christian. And it's, it wasn't about rejecting food or renouncing earthly pleasure. Rather, Paul is talking about actually in, to live a life in such a way that when people saw his behavior, Timothy... When they saw Timothy's behavior, they would have no doubt that he was truly saved. He says, watch his life and know that he is saved. Now, what does that kind of life look like? And that's where we spend the rest of the service, this sermon, really unpacking. Because Paul gives an answer to Timothy. He doesn't leave him in the dark. And in, in essence, he doesn't leave us in the dark. Because this is really what we're talking about. The word for this process of being made holy is a word called sanctification. Okay, sanctification, there are two big theolog theological words that we got to get as Christians. You want to know these things that we got to get and live out in our lives. The first one is this, justification. And the other one is this word sanctification. Now, the good news of the gospel is that because we are sinful, and because our sin offends God, okay, it offends God, Jesus, God's Son, came and died so that God's anger against sin would be satisfied. And so that no, now that any one of us who turns away from our sin, this word, what do we call it? We call it repentance. 
We've got to repent of our sin. We have to turn. You're going in one direction and you turn and go the other way. It says that they are justified before God. Write it down. Read it this week. Read Romans 3, 21 to 26. If you've got notes, write down that passage. Study it. Underline it. Read it. Know it. Because this is the gospel about how you come to... how. God saves you. You are justified, made right before God through this this process. But when this happens, the Spirit of God comes into your life. And He enters in and He begins a process of making you holy. And that is what sanctification is all about. That God doesn't want to just leave you in the state that you are. That he wants to change you. And so if you ever got uh, someone who's just said, you know, all you need to do is just pray a prayer. And that's it. You know, you're in. You're ticket to heaven. And it is true that you have to accept in this one moment in time. But that's not the end of the story. Your life is about God changing you to make you look more like his son, to make you more holy. And so the evil things that you used to do, they bring guilt now. Because you can't, because you recognize that they grieve your friend. And you have new desires. It says new desires to do what the Bible actually says. To, to obey Christ's commands. To respond to the Spirit's prompts in your life. And so you've got to reject the old life and pursue new life in Christ. And that's what sanctification is all about. But know this, that the gospel is at the heart of both. A lot of people think it's just, well, the gospel just gets me into heaven. But the gospel is at the heart of both these things. There was a great quote that was passed to me this week. And I want to read it. I want to read it word for word so that we get it. So it's so helpful in understanding what a gospel-centered life looks like. I want you to listen to this. It says this, Dick Kaufman from the Gospel-Driven Church, he wrote this, The gospel is God's explosive power that changes everything. First, the gospel makes us Christians. God forgives your sin. He declares you righteous in Christ. He gives you eternal life. He adopts you as his child. He ushers you into an intimate relationship with himself. And then second, the gospel grows us. The gospel is not merely the way in which we enter the kingdom. It's also the way that we make all progress in kingdom living. It is the way of righteousness righteousness from first to last. Since the gospel not only makes us Christians, it also grows us as Christians. The most desperate need of both unbelievers and believers is to hear and appropriate the gospel to their lives. Third, the gospel empowers us to serve. The gospel gives us a whole new motivational structure. We will motivate with the gospel, which sets us free in love and to ser- free to love and serve unconditionally in response to God's grace in Christ. What a rich quote. This is so important for us to actually get into our heads and our hearts. Accepting the gospel is so much more than getting saved. 
I don't know what you've been told, but it's, it's more than this. Your identity, your adoption in Christ, your motivation for service, how the Spirit works in making you holy, it's all tied to how you understand the gospel. Tim Keller once wrote this. He wrote, The key to continual and spiritual renewal is the continual rediscovery of the never-ending depths of the gospel. And so I ask you, friends, do you want spiritual renewal? Are you feeling spiritually dead? Do you want the keys to spiritual life? And I'm telling you, it's found in the gospel alone. In what? In in the person of Jesus Christ. So Paul here, I want you to see with us that he gives three lessons. I'm going to call them sanctification lessons now that I've explained the word. So I don't like just tossing out a big word and then not explaining it. But there are three sanctification lessons to help Timothy, who is he's writing to just him. He's writing a personal letter to a young pastor to understand how his personal holiness, his sanctification was tied to the gospel in his life. But for us, we kind of peek in and we hear these words. And if we were to live them, we, we, we get the benefit of the words Timothy this morning. So I wanted to, let's look at the first lesson, sanctification lesson one. The first, in verse six here, I want you to see that he says that you need to follow before you lead Timothy. Verse six, if you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Okay? I'm going to emphasize it again when I say it, that you are being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And so notice with me, Paul is saying that Timothy's effectiveness is, is as a servant leader is utterly dependent on how closely he, he keeps to the truths. It's not about just about behavior. It's, uh, it's how he holds to the truth in his life. Do you remember what Matt was talking about in week one? He see, in the teaching, he was talking about, he says, hold the line, Timothy. It's important in the truth to hold the line. That we aren't wavering all over the place. Timothy, you desire to help others learn. You want to teach others about the scriptures? Make sure you are a follower first. Timothy wants, Paul wants Timothy to be a servant leader, not just a caricature. Now, a caricature is a picture or an imitation of a person or a thing that where striking, certain striking characteristics are exaggerated in order to create a comic or grotesque effect. Now, outside or inside the church, due to all kinds of reasons, fair or unfair, unrealistic pictures can form around leaders. Really, pastors probably is the most common thing. It's a caricature around their identity or role. Now, when you ask people about what is a pastor or who is a pastor or a minister, you would see two ends of a spectrum. Some of them would see them, see them as a con man. Someone who is just out there to get people to give their money. 
if I can just hit on the hot buttons of Scripture, I can get what, you, what I need out of it. And that's a, some people will look at a pastor or a leader and say, that's, they're just con men. And some of them see them as the no fun police. You're just trying to make me feel guilty about where my life is at. And so they're the ones who, who are, who are the, the no fun police. I know this is, uh, and some of them on the other end of the spectrum have raised up pastors or leaders as spiritual gurus to a place of where they are, they are a person with all the answers. And I know that's how you see me. You know, like, person with all the answers. But here's, here's what I asked one of my friends to uh, write, to draw a caricature of how they saw me as a pastor. And this is what he came up with uh, for me uh, today. Um, I just don't see where the, forehead, the receding forehead comes from. And it doesn't seem to catch the striking good looks that I have a sense of my own life, but the piety of the robes. Now that is where it captures me nicely, I think. You know, I've got to give credit. There's a, he's a good friend. Jay Anderson is his name. He's a wonderful artist, and so he, he whipped that up for, the, for me at the end of the, the week. Now why are we talking about caricatures? Because in this passage here, I think Paul, I believe that Apostle Paul wants to combat a very unhealthy caricature of a pastor as a spiritual superman. Because leaders are not bulletproof. They're not, they hurt, they wound in criticism. The leaders are not free of failure or mistakes. That's why Paul wants Timothy to continue to feed on the scriptures, to diligently remain a follower, so that he would have something that is actually good and value, that it would have value to give to other people. And if Timothy needs a reminder like this, I ask you, friends, do you need this reminder for our own lives, too? There's a question I was thinking about. Have you embraced any false thinking that you've reached some kind of spiritual maturity that you don't need to follow anymore? That you don't need the nourishment of the Word. You don't need to read the Bible because in many ways you've heard it all before and you're getting by in this Christian life uh, okay, that you're in control, that you somehow arrive spiritually. And the longer, I want to say this, the longer you've followed Christ, the greater the danger is that you slip into a false gospel, that you are capable of living a holy life in your own strength. Because friends, this is utter foolishness. You cannot live holy as the scripture speaks about, in your, own, in your own ways. We can believe that God somehow needs us, that we are his choice servant, and that his kingdom requires us to move it along. Now, if we were to do this, we've got to look at the greatest servant leader of all. Let's look at how he lives. Jesus spent time alone in prayer and in solitude. He'd minister to crowds. He had, he had, the, he had a busy schedule. You know, Jesus wasn't just kind of hanging out, just throwing stones at the water's edge. 
waiting for people to come. People were constantly bombarding him for food and healing and his words. They wanted him all the time. And he would minister to those crowds, and then he would retreat. Often in early times of the morning, to keep himself aligned with the will of the Father. Now, if Jesus needed solitude before big decisions, how much more do we need this? Luke 6, 12 to 13 says that Jesus heads up into the mountains right before and prays to the Father, and he spends the whole night praying before he chooses the 12 disciples. Big decision. Who are, the 12, who are my 12 disciples? He spends the whole night in prayer. It doesn't, doesn't tell me what he prayed about, but I, I know he's talking to the Father. And then when he loses a family member, when he's going through deep pain, John the Baptist, his cousin, gets killed, beheaded. It says that in Matthew 14, Jesus withdraws to a secluded place, I believe, to grieve and to talk to God in his grief. Again, this is Jesus. If he does this, how much more do we require this kind of behavior in our own lives Don't set yourself up as some kind of superhero in isolation. And I speak here to everyone, but I also speak to any of you who are aspiring to be leaders in God's church. It's a dangerous place to live where we believe in our own self-sufficiency. And many leaders have destroyed their lives because they... Do not, they began to believe the lie that they were in some ways in control. That they were the ones that, that, that God needed. And so I think it's very helpful. I'm going to do something with you right now. I'm going to say this with me. It says, I want you to say, Jesus is the leader, not me. You say that? Jesus is the leader, not me. You may write that Put it on your uh, mirror this week. Jesus is the leader, not me. If you keep, if you, and you, if you ever forget it, keep writing it down. So the second place of the lesson that we're going to talk about here in sanctification that Paul wants Timothy to hear is he wants to say this. He says, "Don't get distracted." And these are this is really what uh, verses seven to twelve are talking about. Paul, he, he, here, he shifts to an athletic picture at this point. He, just like a Greek or Roman athlete, that, that's the picture that he wants you to, them to understand. And we, as we, every four years, we get a sense of what Olympic athletes look like. But this athletic endeavor, Greek and Roman athletes would have trained all for, for athletic competitions. And they had to do certain things. They had to eat the right food. And do certain exercises. And so the Christian should train in spiritual exercise. Now, if we as Christians put as much energy and discipline into our spiritual lives as an athlete does into his game, we would grow faster. I guarantee it. And that we would accomplish more for God. Okay? It's not about accomplishment, but... In many ways, it's, what, it's the way God works. That God chooses to work through those he, that, he is, that are disciplining themselves. 
And so he says these words about training to Timothy here. And he discusses it really in three ways. I want you to see this. In verse 7, he talks about, he goes back and he talks about a bad diet. And he, and he says these words, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. But you know what? Another, a couple of the translations talk about it in this way. He talks about it actually as profane and old wives' fables. Now, no offense to old, old wives, okay? But the idea here is that people just sitting around and uh, gotten to a stage of life where they're just sitting around and just chatting. And they come up with all kinds of ideas and it, it's where we get old wives' tales, right? That's where the, the phrase gets, comes in. And these are, these are false teachings and traditions that are denying the scriptures. They're, they're what, what's being talked about in verses 2 and 3 here. They were teaching doctrines that had no basis in Scripture. In fact, they actually contradicted the Word of God. Because the Word of God says that everything that I've made is good. Now, we can raise it up. We can raise the gifts up to be idols in our lives. But that doesn't mean that uh, God's gifts, the gifts that He actually made, are bad on this earth. Or that our bodies are bad. And so they're contradicting the Word of God. And these are the kind of teaching that, that Paul is talking about here, and he's calling them silly myths. Okay? There's a little... I would, say it with a, I would say it with a condescending tone. You know? Now, maybe Paul... I can't, you can't ever read tone, but these silly myths that they're talking about. And these are the teachings that we, we just read about. But Paul warns Titus about Jewish fables. There would be Jewish stories that, that, weren't, that, that were kind of myths as well and he, in Titus 1.14. And he talks about in this, these same fables in his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.4. And here's what I want to remind us, that a believer right now in our lives, we don't, we're not meant to come up with new doctrine. Now we can discuss things and how we understand but the essentials of the faith, it's a bad idea to come up with something new that no one has ever heard about before. Because he warns us to not give heed to the, the old, the, these fables or endless genealogies. And while a pastor or us as believers, we got to know what the enemy is teaching out there. He says to him, don't get caught up in, the, in arguments about it. Don't sit around and, and, and argue about the non-essentials. Because it's not worth your time. And don't get influenced by all the next and latest teaching that you've, you've read. Here's a good tip. Read books of people who have been dead for a long time. Rather than the latest book all the time. Because there's a reason why the books are still in print of the dead people. You know? And so this is uh, just like a chemist may handle and study poisons. He doesn't let them get into his body. And so it is with teaching with us. So that's the first level. He says, talks about bad diet. But then he talks about exercise. And he talks about this temporary exercise. He talks about bodily exercise in verses 7 and 8. Phillips Brooks says this, the greatest purpose of life is the shaping of character by truth. So godly character and conduct is far more important to us than the the latest golf trophy 
or whatever home run trophy or whatever things you've got in your life or records, if, if godliness is devotion and action, that's what we talked about last week, we have a part to play in this. It's not about just letting go, letting, letting go and let God in your life, that we are to pursue godliness. And godliness is not just a character thing. It's about a devotion to pursue Godward action, love, actions. It's a dogged pursuit of going to the places, back to the places where God spoke to us. And so if, God's, if you feel God is strangely silent, here's what we're supposed to do. Go back to the places where you've heard him before. We pursue Christ in our devotion under the spirit of the influence of the spirit and the result is godly behavior in our lives. And so what Paul is challenging Timothy is to be devoted, as devoted to godliness as an athlete is to their sport. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live and labor for, uh, for this. And if you are a university student, here's, the, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to major on holiness in your life. Your degree will be great. And it will get you the things you need and maybe for a job. But that job is only for this life. If you major on holiness, you will not be disappointed. I promise you this. And it's not my words. It's because it's, it's, it's the words of Scripture. And so we talked about this, the diet, and then the temporary exercise. But then he moves us to this idea of godliness, and it's eternal. It's a third level of life. And so that's what we're doing. We're laboring and living for eternity. And you got to ask this question is, i got to ask this question, how are you training in godliness right now? Would you say that's what you're doing in your life? Are you training in godliness? And I don't know all of you very well yet. So I don't know all your lives. I, don't, I, I haven't seen you in action long enough. But I, but I know in a church of this size, it's, there's got to be some of you out there that are trying to do this whole Christian life as a solitary sport. You thought you got the memo that you thought it was a that it was a marathon, but that I'm by myself. But the idea is is really a, a CrossFit analogy. I know the, and I know Danielle and and Jake are in the kids ministry, so I, I wrote this specifically to to resonate with them this morning. But they're they're out of this room, so I hope any of you who are using CrossFit uh, are because I think it's really powerful that our community, Church of the City is designed as a community for which you are to train in. That's the idea. And if you've been stuck in your life, it's maybe because you're not using the right training method. And you know, cross, uh, as we talk about CrossFit, uh, they work in teams. They, they gather together for the mutual uh, encouragement. You know, last week we talked about how the Spirit actually works in community. How God actually talks more about us as how His glory comes down, not just in our individual lives, but He talks about in how He he resides and brings His glory in community when He lays His living stones out as a church. 
And that's what we're talking about. It's true in this, that we have reunion here. As families, we come together as a, as a large family to worship the Father and to teach the Scriptures. And in reunion, you learn to sacrifice Because some of you have come early and some of you have served already today. But you serve in in your giftedness. And that's what Paul talks about right here in this passage. He says, use your gifts for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of the body. And our gathering here is meant to be just a large family reunion. Because during the week, Church of the City scatters. We scatter out into what what we call missional communities. And your gifts, those same gifts are used in that place too because that's where the church is too. Because the church is not here in a building. It's not in a service. It's in the people. And some of you are already part of that scattering. You are part of missional communities. And some of you are beginning what we call hubs. You're learning to what missional communities are so that you can begin some right now. That's, that's where we are right now. We're starting some out. But what do we do in those places? We live out our identities of being a family of missionary disciples there. And in these groups, we train as disciples. We train in what we call gospel fluency. Can you actually, do you know the gospel? Do you know how to talk about it? Do you know what Jesus has actually done for you? Can you share it with others? We learn what the gospel is and how do we live it and how do we share it. And then we learn how to love as a family. Because when you stick people together, it's not always easy. I don't know if you found this, but it's that we all are not the same. And that we rub each other the wrong way. And if you're living with roommates this morning, you understand this. That you've got to figure out how to live together. But we learn what it means to be a family and to love each other. And we train in godliness by gathering men and women in DNA DNA groups. They're they're study groups. They're they're groups where they study scripture and are, are accountable to each other. And what are they accountable in? We're accountable in are we living godly lives? Does our private life match our public life? Because it matters what you do in secret. God cares about your heart and what's going on in your life far more than how you're perceived or the image that you portray. And so you can do all this training as as a solitary athlete, athlete, but any great athlete knows that coaches and training community are necessities for great success. And so you can strive alone, but it is amazing when a person is beside you and saying, we've got this together. Let's do this together. It's worth it. Let's persevere in this. Because there's some days you're just going to want to give up. Some days it just feels so hard. And that you feel weak in your sinfulness, in your temptation. And God is putting others in your life, living stones that we talked about last week, who are saying to you, don't get distracted. Let's train together in godliness. And man, there's so much more here in this passage. We've got to keep going. So, third key lesson. Paul, Timoth- Paul wants Timothy to see this, that progress, not perfection, is the goal of living out the gospel. Progress, 
not perfection, is the goal of living a gospel-centered life. You know, progress in sanctification should be celebrated. You should be celebrating the small steps of obedience. Progress in, in sanctification is part of our witness as disciples. It combats the accusation, well, those Christians, they don't look any different than me. Because if you're progressing long enough, if you keep walking forward, you look different. You can't help it. I want you to look with me at verse 15. Go all the way down. It says this. Practice these things. Immerse yourselves in them so that they might see your what? What does it say? Progress. Come on, you can do better than that. See your what? Progress. Okay? I know. I've been talking too long. I haven't had you... Jump back in here. So, and then he says this. Persist in this so that in doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. What are these things? Well, Paul lays them out in all the verses before. Verses 10 to to, to up to 15, he says this. He wants Timothy to keep striving, to keep growing, to be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith. In purity, and this is what sanctification is about. Because there's nothing, no sphere of your life that doesn't include these words. In all things, if we are motivated by the gospel to be examples in our speech, to be examples in our conduct, which is like our day-to-day behavior, our love for each other and our neighborhoods, our faith and our purity, Timothy... Live it and preach it. And you are called to preach it. You may not think this, but you preach it much better than any pastor on Sunday morning. When you live in holiness and you open your mouth and speak to someone you have a relationship with, you are preaching. Preach the gospel, friends, with your lives. It's so important that you don't, don't start to think, well, that's the pastor's job. And when we do this, the Spirit of God uses the gospel to save people. That's what verse 10 says. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, potentially, especially, of those who believe. And so we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're gonna, are we going to see perfection in this life? Nope. Never. You will not receive perfection on this side of heaven. But you can progress. That's what it's called. Progress in holiness. For what purpose? Why do you do this? The gospel doesn't tell us to live morally great lives so that you are accepted by God. That's actually a false gospel that I gotta gotta do more things, I gotta gotta perform in order for God to accept me. The gospel is that that we don't add things to the work of, of Jesus on the cross. We live holy lives in response to the one who saves us. We live out the gospel by loving the one who first loved us. And so we're, mo- we're motivated by the Spirit's passion for Jesus. 
Do you know this? The Spirit loves Jesus. His job is to glorify Christ on this earth. That's that's why the Spirit is here. And so if the Spirit of God is inside of you, you have a whole new new motivational spectrum, (laughs) a thing going on inside of you. Because the Spirit of God loves Jesus. And you are motivated to love Jesus because you've got that Spirit and you're living united with Him. And I love that. Because it's not me just kind of, let me, let me conjure up here, God. Let me conjure up the passion. I gotta, if I get in step with the Spirit, my passion for Jesus is just going to go up and up and up. Amen? Amen. Amen. We are motivated by the gospel alone, compelled by the gospel alone, and telling the good news that fires up our hearts and how he's changed our lives. But I want you to remember this as we close. God doesn't need our perfection. He's got perfection already in his son. He's pleased with him. God, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. He desires your progress so that Jesus is glorified through you and lost people are going to see this community where he is exalted. And so this passage is written to a pastor who about living a godly life and letting others hear the gospel. And Paul wants Timothy and the church to know what they're supposed to teach and what he's supposed to do. Be a follower, Timothy. Be a follower before you're a leader, Timothy. That's what he wants him to know. And I say that to you. Be a follower before you're a leader. Train yourself in godliness, Timothy. Church, train yourself in godliness. Start today. Progress in holiness, Timothy. Church of the city, progress, progress, start, progress in holiness. So that Christ is exalted. When we join together, we're going to take communion at this time. We're going to sing first, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll take communion. Would we join together, grow together, and train together in godliness as a church of the city? That's, that's our call today. That's what this passage, I believe, is calling us to do. And would we do this to lift Christ up in the city? So let's pray. God, we ask that today that your word would go and do what you want to do in our hearts today. Convict us, encourage us. Thank you that you don't need our perfection, but you desire and love us so much that you will, that you have not left us, that you want to see us progress and change. And so God, would you be glorified in our lives today? And as we worship you, would your name be lifted high? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.